Welcome to Great Minds, a wine-centric podcast where two wine-loving friends take a look beyond what's in the glass. We dig a little deeper into the stories, the culture, and the history behind the wine. We even drink a little wine while we're doing it. I'm Julie Glenn. And I'm Gina Birch. One of our favorite things to do besides taste wine is to welcome guests onto the show and into the studio, which is, uh, at least in person in the studio, has been a little bit challenging uh, in the last year. It's been really far, a few and far between because of the C word, covid so we are extremely excited to have Kyle Jansen in the flesh, in the studio with us today. Hi, Kyle. Hi. Thanks so, for having me. Oh, it's so good to see you. Is it nice to be out of California? It is nice. It is nice to be back on the road and traveling a little bit and right. spreading the word about wine again. Yeah, we love California, but... Uh, and we love hearing the word about wine, too. Yes, we do. From yeah. an actual person that's not on a computer screen. <laughs> yeah, no more <laughs> Zooming. Well, I think Zooming will be a way we're doing things in the future. Did you guys do a lot at the winery? Did uh, did quite a bit, yeah, over the yeah. last year. Yeah, so Kyle's family owns Baccio Divino in Napa, and under their label, you've got three different, or under, you've got three different bottlings under your label. Mm-hmm. We do have a few different, yeah, well, four, but yeah. So okay, we, I we forgot do. about that fourth one. So you've got, go ahead and let everyone know. We have the namesake wine itself, Baccio Divino, right. uh, which is Cabernet with a little bit of Sangiovese. We've mm-hmm. got Pazzo, which is our, our Sangiovese forward blend, and then we make a, a series of Cabernets under a, a label called Jansen as well. Jensen. And we do just a little bit of Chardonnay and Pinot under another label called Lucy. All right. So you got it all pretty much covered. Yeah, we, we like to <laughs> Including but not cover limited all bases. to the unusualness of a Sangiovese grape in California. In Napa, yeah. How did that ha- come about? Yeah, you could say we're a little crazy. Yeah, yeah positive. Uh, get it? But I don't know. <laughs> My dad uh, started in the wine business back in the early 90s. He was uh, working for Camus, mm-hmm. wanted to make wine on his own, but wanted to do something different than what Camus was doing and what he saw a lot of the uh, friends and neighbors around doing, which was blending either 100% Cabernet wines or more traditional Bordeaux blends. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, these uh, Italian wines, these super Tuscans are just kind of becoming popular here in the States for the first time. And I want to do a little riff, a little play on that with what uh, mm-hmm. what Napa does best, leading with Cabernet and then blending in smaller amounts of Sangiovese and occasionally other other varietals. So what would you say Sangiovese brings to the table that's different? You know, Sangiovese has uh, like a really kind of dusty, earthy element to it. It brings a lot of that bright red fruit. It could be a little bit lighter in color. Um, and, and acidity, I think, is, is another real strong component uh, that Sangiovese brings to the table in a blend. And when it's not a really fabulous Sangiovese, it tastes kind of like chalk. A little bit. You notice that it <laughs> takes all of the, um, sometimes it'll take all the uh, the spit out of your mouth. Ooh, sorry. Yeah. That's, That's my rocking chair. Yeah. <laughs> I had to move my, my mic. I couldn't see Julie. Sorry about that. Well, it, it is a joy to behold. But yeah, Sangiovese, sometimes I had a couple over there when I was in uh, Chianti. I'm like, good Lord, some of this is just ripping the spit out of my mouth and the enamel off my teeth. It was just really just drying and, and it could be chalky when not done in the superb optimal way in which Absolutely. i'm sure you do it at your winery well you know we, we've never made 100 percent sangiovese wine and, and yeah. that might be part of the reason why we've always yeah. found mm-hmm. blending in you know some merlot some cabernet it will really fill in the middle of the palate too um and 
kind of cover some of the gaps that we find uh, occasionally in, in Sangiovese and so Napa. So Pazzo is the one that uh, we see a lot or that maybe you have a higher production of? I mean, yeah. Because you guys are considered a boutique winery, so you, you make mostly a small production. But Pazzo is the one we have in our glass, and that's predominantly Sangiovese, and that's what we, we'll, we'll see a lot in the marketplace. Yeah, I think that you uh, will have a much easier time finding Pazzo than mm-hmm. some of our other wines. We only uh, make, you know, a couple hundred cases of time of the higher end. Uh, but then Pazzo here, uh, you know, roughly $35, $40 bottle of wine um, as a, a little bit of a wider market. Right. So This is juicy and yummy. I mean, it's just, um, I love the bright fruit and I, I definitely want some food with it. It's just, it's fun. It's it's a fun wine in your mouth. The texture and, the, and all of the flavors, I think. What do you? Well, it's definitely having a party in there, but it, yeah. it would like some appetizers. Yeah. You know, like a charcuterie or some kind of like a little bit of fat. I want some... Like triple cream brie. Ooh. Now but I mean, talking. I always want that. But yeah. it would be extra good with this. <laughs> yeah, I find this wine has a lot of range. You know, we, we had it paired at a recent wine dinner with a, a tuna-based course. And, you know, I think more traditionally, I look for braised meats, you know, mm-hmm, slow-cooked, yeah. that kind of thing. It fits really nicely. But pizza, pasta, burgers on a Tuesday night, it's, it's all this good This could be really pasta. nice also with the, with the, dang it, barbecue. Barbecue. Yep. Oh yeah. 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 The smoky plays really well with this. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. I just got a, I just got a vision of a pulled pork sandwich in my head right now. I'm Is it lunchtime? I'm from Kansas City, so I'm going straight burn ends right now. <laughs> oh yeah. Now you're talking. <laughs> that would be great. So now your family started this winery, correct? Yeah. Your mom and dad. Yep. Mom and dad started it uh, again back in the early nineties. 93 was our very first vintage. Um, mm-hmm. Originally, I'm from Canada. Uh, my folks spent the bulk of their life there, you know, the first half or so. Um, Dad and Mom both were big wine lovers. Dad was really into, you know, competitive wine tasting and things like that back in the day in Canada uh, and just decided to one day leave his first career behind and move the family to California and kind of restart around wine itself and the heart of things. Natalie McLean was from Canada, wasn't she, the wine writer? She really took off in the early 90s. I believe uh, so. So he may have probably gone to those tastings. I don't know. Maybe. Perhaps. Wouldn't surprise me. So then um, you had some wine in your sippy cup, I would imagine. Did you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Way back <laughs> when, since you were a little bitty. Glass has always been pushed to us, you know, mm-hmm. on the din- at the dinner table. I think early on, uh, both me and my sister were more interested in just smelling it. But, uh, you know, by 12, 13 years old, we were taking little tastes. And mm-hmm. I think that really helped uh, just understanding how to approach wine, not... Uh, there are no right and wrong answers, right? It's just your personal perception and, and mm-hmm. not having the weight of that and learning that later in life, I think, really helped Did understand you, wine. Uh, are, I, I love to ask people that this who are in family businesses. Was this something that you um, kind of said, oh, of course, this is just natural for me to go into it? Or, or did you have that rebellious where, like, I'm not doing that just because my dad's doing it. I'm going to go off and do something else. I'd or, rather be a rock star. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like he could be a rock star. Yeah, for sure. I think I went more the ski bum route, but okay, yes, yeah. absolutely. I, I you can know. totally see you on the ski, ski slope, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. You know, uh, growing up there, uh, there is not a ton to do as a young man. You mm-hmm. know, under 18 in Napa Valley, everything sort of revolves around restaurants and wine. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I definitely went through a phase of, I don't want to do this. I got to get out of Dodge and right. try other things and experiment and, you know, see what the world has to offer. Right. So I traveled a little bit and, as mentioned, spent a few years at a ski resort and then <laughs> sold wine in a restaurant there and, and 
essentially realized, what the heck am I doing? My family owns a winery. Maybe it's time to move back to Napa. And they're probably making better wine than some of what you were selling. At oh, the yes, certainly. Yeah. Well, it's also kind of cool to get out of the bubble, you know, that you're in in Napa and then be able to get out in the world and then be on that whole restaurant end of understanding that business side of things, which is, you know, as artistic as and romantic as wine is, it is still also a business. Yeah. You know, so learning about how the restaurants select their wines and how customers perceive things and things like that, I think was probably really valuable, I would imagine. I think so. Uh, you know, and, and that was the driving force for me of, of why I wanted to do what I think is, is just to get out there. And, you know, uh, if you if you spend all your time at the winery tasting wines only with other winemakers, I, I think you you can lose a little sight of uh, mm-hmm. who your customers are and, and what they're really looking for. So mm-hmm. getting that experience was really helpful. What about the Lucy label that you do? So we're talking about the Baccio Divino, which we have in our glass, the Pazzo. Where did Lucy come into it? So Lucy is essentially the most recent brand that we've introduced. Uh, my folks both, uh, they tend to drink more Burgundy than anything. But being a winery that's mainly based out of Napa Valley, you know, the, the Pinot selection is, is pretty slim. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after many years of making the blends and then getting into the Cabernets, we finally wanted to do some wine, uh, you know, from Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and uh, named it after mom. So mom's Aww. name is Diane Lucille Jansen and dad runs around the house calling her Lucy. So Aww. that became the label. Lucy! <laughs> does he do Lucy on home? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, he does. He definitely does. <laughs> I bet that never gets old. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and are those grapes from Napa? You said there's not a lot or do you get those from Sonoma? So those are from the Russian River Valley. Russian River. Yeah, we do. Um, we source from both Bacigalupi Vineyard and mm. Dutton Ranch Vineyard in, in Russian River Two Valley. great ones, definitely. Let's talk about Jansen now. You've got two Jansons uh, with you. Let's wanna, let's try one of those. Oh, I had a poor son. Let's try both. I? But, I mean, let's start with one. What are we going to start with? So I think we're going to – we've got our single vineyards out today. I'm going to okay. start you with our Cloudy's Vineyard. Okay. Um, so I mentioned we started back in the early 90s, but initially we were purchasing all our fruit. Uh, mm-hmm. Quite a bit from Andy Beckstoffer, but also mm-hmm. some other Sorry. vintners and, and vineyards throughout the valley. Mm-hmm. But in 2000, we purchased some property and uh, planted fruit. Around 2004 was our first harvest. And there is one spot in our vineyard, roughly an acre in size, uh, that just puts out, you know, superior fruit. Kind of the best of the best from our estate. And we've always bottled that separately as this wine, Cloudy's vineyard. Is it me or is this a brighter Wine, like color-wise. Huh. Just looking at the color, it's just more of a vibrant garnet, you know? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was going to say it's definitely garnet, a uh, vibrant garnet. Let me just see if I would put vibrant in front of that. I guess so. Sure. I'd say, as I'm mm. echoing into my wine glass, yeah. echo. We were having interesting mic pickups today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you noticed this? Sorry if we're noisy and jarring your ears, podcast listeners. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? So now these are not slouchy single vineyards that you have happening here. How do you get yourself into vineyards such as these? I mentioned my dad started his career at Camus. Uh-huh. Camus oh. is right next door to George the Third Vineyard, uh-huh. which is uh, the original vineyard that Andy Beckstoffer purchased, and that's where his office is. Mm-hmm. So my dad met Andy, you know, uh, I want to say before he was the celebrity he is now, but essentially, yeah, you know, around 1995, I think, is when they met and. Uh, Started purchasing fruit shortly after that, before there was a, you know, kind of a real run on that fruit, and uh, mm-hmm. it'd be very hard to get back in now. I think if, if we weren't imagine. already in there. Yeah, yeah was, that's that's one of the things um, that I think we really want to, uh, you know, kind of dive into a little bit with you is that 
We know Andy Beckstoffer. If, if you're if you love wine, then you know the Beckstoffer name, and you know the Missouri Hopper, and you know those the Tokalon vineyards. And we're gonna taste some Tokalon in a little bit. But what makes them so good? What? Why do they demand such a high price tag? It is always hard to put your finger on exactly right. why. I mean, I think the kind of wine sheet answer is just to say it's terroir. <laughs> it's that <laughs> yeah, magical mix of exactly right. where it is. You know, what time of day does the sun hit? What is the soil? What is the drainage? It's all these little factors that together add add up to producing some of the best fruit around. But you can have good fruit, but if you don't know how to take care of it, it's, it's still going to be... Crap, you know, I, not yeah. crap. But I mean, you can certainly better crap than lower. You, you can screw it up in the <laughs> yeah, cellar. Yeah. yeah, you can screw it up and and you can heighten it as well. But mm-hmm. I think you know a pretty good rule of thumb in Napa is is you cannot make amazing great wine out of average fruit. Right. Right. You you really just you can't if you don't start with a good base product. It's really hard to elevate a wine. Well, it's like that with um, cooking too, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't have the good cheese and the good butter and uh, and the good meat, then you're not going to have an outstanding dish. You'll have an okay dish. Especially if you make something simple that's two or three ingredients, which mm-hmm. essentially, you know, wine is one ingredient right. um, plus yeast. Yeah. Well, depending, <laughs> so. depending on who you're buying it from. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we have the cloudies. How much does this typically go for retail? This uh, generally sells around $165, $175. And bottle. this is low production? Yeah, you this... Only- you know, it's an acre and a half, so r- relatively small production, maybe four and a half, five, six tons in a big year. Mm. Uh, so just a couple hundred to 300 uh, cases a year uh, right. in a very big year. So mm-hmm. real steep hillside right where this vineyard is. Mm-hmm. So excellent drainage, and the vines get a lot of stress. They really have to work hard to, you know, stay alive and, and kind of focus their energy into the grapes the next generation rather than growing too many branches. So. Mm-hmm. How did these grapes do during uh, the fires last year? Oh, you know, 2020 Sorry was a... I had to mention it. That's all right. I'm crying now. I know. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up, Gina. Yeah, I mean, but these are... This, this is like precious cargo. It so. is. You know, we, we I think we've learned... Uh, I certainly, personally, have, have sort of experienced it a lot more in the mm-hmm. last 10 years, these natural disasters and, uh, you know, things that... Uh, farming is, is a tricky, tricky thing, and, and we have to roll with it, and we have to just accept it and move on to the next vintage. For us, we were really only able to harvest a couple vineyards in 2020. Mm-hmm. We had some early fires, made it through those. We thought the fruit would be okay, and then the second set of fires hit. And uh, you know that if we hadn't already picked the fruit at that point, it, it was effectively yeah. going to be lost. So there's quite a few vineyards that are won't be made in that vintage, but that's okay too. Um, got really excellent 2018s and 2019s kind of in the pipeline, and okay. early to say, but 2021 is is Hoping to shape up so well. So far, so good. Yeah. Hmm. So after a fire has gotten through a vineyard, what happens the next year? Do they kind of come back better and stronger? Or do they come back a little weakened or a little smoky? I think it's a little case by case, right? Yeah. Like it's really hard to make generalizations. I think uh, for a lot of folks, what I've, uh, you know, for us and, and a lot of folks I've talked to, the fire moves really quickly because we have big winds that, that mm-hmm. essentially spread these. So a fire can pass through a vineyard without really burning the the vine too badly. Mm-hmm. And in a case like that, you might not, you know, have any delay in getting back into it the next vintage. Uh, certainly with, with smoke taint, we don't expect a ton of year-over-year year, uh, issues, but it certainly can happen in, in some situations if, if it's just sitting there um, in the vineyard for a long time. And then in, in other cases, you have damage to the vine itself, and that might take uh, you know a year off to kind of get back to, to where it needs to be. Or in the worst-case scenario, you have to replant, and that's maybe a four- or five-year 
turnaround. Situation. Yeah. yeah. But I don't hear too much about that. Well, then it's also impactful to uh, the entire community, people that work at the vineyard, Mm -hmm. the people that work in the cellar, the people in in the entire, the whole thing. It was just really hard to see and hard to watch from afar. So my apologies for bringing up the sad days. Well, let's talk about this delicious wine in the glass. Absolutely. I mean, talk about the mid palate waking up. I'm just like, hi. This was just opened uh, about an hour ago, Mm -hmm. maybe. And um, I can see how already it's changed in our glass. And we just have like maybe an ounce in here tasting it. And uh, and this is your new vintage. Was it an 18? Did you say what year? This one is uh, 2017. 2017. Okay. How long do you typically hold on to them? I know that can vary from from vintage to vintage. And vineyard to vineyard. Mm -hmm. I think for Cloudy's, you know, I would say the bulk of our customers will probably enjoy their their Cloudy's allocation within the first five or seven years. Mm -hmm. But I I see this wine aging for 15 to maybe 20 years on kind of the tail end. Perhaps a little bit longer, but... uh, It definitely has that structure to it. mm Mm-hmm. It's got the acidity. It's got the structure. You know, the fruit is there. That's um, a beautiful nose, too. Yeah, it really does. And I don't mean to be geographically idiotic, but where are we at here? Yeah, I probably didn't mention that at are all. Are we in the I? southern part of Napa Valley? Are we... We're in the northern end, so we're between St. Helena and okay. Calistoga uh-huh. on the Silverado Trail side. Gotcha. Up in the hills, about two and a half miles up a little private drive. So maybe Deer Park Road kind of area? Yeah, a little bit further north than that. Okay. So uh, Deer Park Road would take you up to Howe Mountain. Mm-hmm. You'd go uh, another two miles down Silverado Trail and then take a right. So it's essentially like one one or two ridges down and then okay. back up from Howe Mountain. Not quite as high up. And this is where this vineyard is. Where is the winery? Where do people come visit you when they go out to visit? We don't have a full-time tasting room at oh, this okay. point. We, you know, uh, where our vineyards are and where my folks built their home is... Um, we essentially, it, it's too private. It's a private road, and we, yeah. we just can't fully operate a tasting Accommodate room out there. The so, flood of tourists you yes. probably have. If people reach out to us, you know, by email or through the website, um, we will host them for tastings. But uh, it tends to be in the Oakville area. Have you ever gotten into any of those? Um, like they have a tasting room that features wineries from different uh, winemakers. Have you done any of those uh, that are usually in downtown Napa? Yeah. Well, you know, I think my dad experimented with a lot of those uh, when I was still being a, a ski bum off mm-hmm. off in the distance. But, um, you know, lately uh, it is hard to get into those too. There, there's really? quite a bit of competition, I think, among wineries to get into the, the these kind of communal tasting rooms where maybe there's five or six wineries featured, um, like the Wine Thief. Well, or, and yeah, and I would think that, you know, some of these smaller ones that have just started really, really try to get in there because they don't have the recognition. They don't have the the name yet and mm-hmm. you guys have been around for a little bit yeah, you so guys you don't need that yeah yeah i think know. that's part of it too you know we're, we're not dying for it the way maybe a, a brand new winery would yeah, be we so have we a strong it. core mailing list after 25 years so is there a waiting list to get on the list <laughs> <laughs> we haven't had to play that game yet okay no. <laughs> good good so julie and i can still well we know people now there's a little bit of room yeah, yeah we're gonna elbow someone i want on that list i want more than a mosh but i know how to do that yeah i've, I've, I've heard um, stories but i've gone <laughs> But the, I've, I've gone to those communal, like, tasting room things. And mm. I, I got to say, for me, it's not my favorite experience because it's it's like I'm in a sales situation, mm. like I'm in a sales pitch. And, and honestly, when you're kind of annoyed anyway and people are kind of trying to crowd and stuff, it just is, is to me, it's too off-putting to actually really get the story of the wine. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, I understand that. And I think, you know, in some of those, it's not necessarily 
somebody from the winery itself even pouring the wine. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, there might be a little something lost. It's in the city. It's not out in the vineyards. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, I I really enjoy doing the tastings that we do, but we just don't do them that frequently that I think it makes them even more special. But you're always traveling around the country and stuff. Just You're like kind of the ambassador, right? Is that yes. your role? Yeah. Uh, you know. Spokes guy. Spokesperson, yeah, sure. Kyle gets <laughs> I think out our about. website says town crier. Yeah, yeah it does. Spokes dude, spokesman. Yeah, so, good. you know, my job is largely to kind of spread the word of Jansen around the country. And when you're doing I haven't done much job. travel for the last year, but I am very happy to be back out here. Your wings have been unfurled. Mm-hmm, a right. little bit. <laughs> Another question I want to ask you, and um, I wonder how much, with all the different vineyards that have name brand and they have names that are well-known attached to them, how much of it sometimes is hype? And is there ever a situation in which the hype has gotten ahead of the actual quality? Oh, that's a tough one to answer without potentially disparaging some of my friends and neighbors. (laughs) You know, I think uh, speaking in a real generic sense, yeah, I I think we've we've seen a few over the years that have really explosive success on the back of a few vintages of really excellent wine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they they essentially ride the sales and the marketing of that and and perhaps dilute a little bit of the quality in order to accommodate the growth. Uh, Uh, I think that's the most diplomatic way I can put it. You know, but yeah. I, I think that yeah. happens in a lot of industries as well. You mm-hmm. know, you can't keep up with the demand if it's a if it's that boutique and that special and that much energy and effort put into doing it right. You, you, you can't do it on a big scale in the same way. I mean, it's just nearly impossible, I would think, whether it's hot dogs or water. I don't know, whatever. But, you know, I think so. Wine in particular, because it's really exaggerated in wine because, mm-hmm. you know, the vineyard is everything and the vineyard is only so big. And if we want to grow, yeah. we have to start getting fruit from somewhere else. And maybe we can find the same quality. Maybe we can't, uh, you know, so uh, growth isn't always the best model for wine. And that leads us to Tokalon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I just took a sip of that. I'm like, well, how you doing? Yeah. So Tokalon, huh? I would think, you know, when, when we think of vineyards, there are a few that we had mentioned, like the Missouri Hopper and, and some of the other ones. But when you hear the word Tokalon, I mean, that immediately makes one sit up straight. And it's like, I have an expectation of greatness from anything that has that word on it. I think it's become probably the, the single most iconic vineyard for Napa right. Valley. I often compare it to like a, a Burgundy Grand Cru vineyard mm-hmm. in Napa. You know, it, it has a, a ton of history. I believe it was originally planted over 100 years ago. So there's all this pedigree of, of wines made over the years uh, from that vineyard to sort of prove it out. Right. Um, and still to this day, it's, it's just magic, right? It's in the yeah. perfect location. Andy Beckstoffer, who now owns a big piece of the vineyard, um, he really kind of modernized the farming mm-hmm. uh, there to to maybe get a little bit lower yields, but get the best quality fruit possible. So, how many people own some of that vineyard? Because you'll I'll hear people say, "Oh, this guy owns it." I'm like, "Yeah, I don't know. Does he really, or did he buy the fruit from it?" And I'm not going to argue with you, but. Uh, do we have a couple, several different ownerships of parcels within that? My understanding is the whole vineyard is about 300 acres. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Andy Beckstoffer owns about 90 or, or 100 acres of the vineyard. Mm-hmm. Mondavi, maybe Mondavi slash Opus One probably owns the uh, the lion's share, maybe around, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 
I don't know exactly, 180 or so mm-hmm. acres. And then I, I believe there are a couple other families that have owned land in Tokelon, but were for generations selling the fruit to Mondavi. And then in the last 10 years or so, they've decided to start making the wine themselves. Right. So yeah, for, we've, we've got this. Why are we not doing our own project? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen, I think the McDonald is a brand that uh, yeah. never saw before 10 years ago, but they make a Tokelon that is... Mm all from their own fruit. It's really funny. There have been many instances in which I've gone out with winemakers who will say, yeah, I've sourced these grapes from all of the best vineyards. I can't tell you which vineyards I have in here. (laughs) So don't use this when you're selling it, but there's Tokelon in here too. You should know. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, but you can't put it on the label, so... How am I going to say that? You're telling me this on the down low, so I don't think I'm going to believe that. What do I do with that? Yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) But they use it, and they use it as a down low sales pitch to people at tastings, and I find that unsavory. Mm. But Understandably so, yeah. It's kind of tough. So what are you smelling in this in this wine, Julia, I'm, I'm going to put her on the spot a little bit because Kyle and I already had this conversation. Uh, we were able to sit next to each other at a dinner the other night. And mm-hmm. and he said when he put his, and actually it wasn't this particular one. It was another one, and I think the nose is more prominent. It was another brand. Somebody else brought a, a Tokelon in there like, to impress Kyle. And he smelled it, and the first thing he said was, yep, smells like Tokelon. I'm like, how do you know what it smells like? I guess you were... Like you said, uh, Julie, it was in his sippy cup. Of course he's going to know what it smells <laughs> like. like well, I smells would know like what childhood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it smells like when I was three. <laughs> My childhood is Tokelon grapes. Wow. It takes that's me back to Sesame Street. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, when I tried... Well, it smells like ber- blueberries to me. Well, little blue fruit. Okay. I got it really perfumey, kind of like a really... And it's not something that I smelled a lot in, in Napa Cab's. Is that perfume? I don't, you know, there are certain things you smell a lot, like vanilla and cherry, and uh, you know, certain things, uh, espresso, like a rose kind of a situation. Yeah, yeah I definitely get a lot of the floral kind of elements. But but that's what you told me, Kyle. Afterwards, like that was something that was kind of a signature in your memory to this particular vineyard. Yeah, and and the the you know the fruit is so concentrated within Tokelon. We get such rich flavors that to it have this really concentrated, yeah, aromatic prettiness to go with it. You know these these floral kind of elements. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little unusual. It doesn't mm-hmm. taste. Or it doesn't smell as though it's going to be so full of stuffing as, as it is on the palate. Yeah, it does yeah. smell like it's going to be lighter than what you get. Mm-hmm. You but know? it's robust. This is a robust wine. Absolutely, yeah. It has a lot of weight, a great uh, like viscosity. It, re- it really you know hits everywhere in your palate. It's mm-hmm. like me. It's a hoss. Uh, mouthfeel. <laughs> <laughs> but I smell good. <laughs> you smell very floral. A little spicy, too. It smells perfumey because I sweat this all the time because I drink so much wine. So that's why you're mistaking it for perfume. Uh, so what do you drink at home? Would you like uh, have a bottle of Tokelon or is that like just on a special occasion? Or you're like, ah, I make this. I drank this in my sippy cup. I'm going to drink some more. Or, you die if he's like, I kind of like Night Train. <laughs> <laughs> Old English. Yes, that is, that is the goat. No, um, you know, I, I mix it up. We occasionally have uh, a cocktail. I'm more of a gin drinker on that mm-hmm. side. When it comes to wine, I would say more often than not, we're opening a, a rosé mm-hmm. or something along those lines to start the evening, and then we'll get into something red. To, Any plans for, for a Jansen rosé? Perhaps. Or a Baccio Divino rosé? Maybe just got excited. There has Ooh, been talk. Lucy. I can't make any promises, but. Oh, yeah. A Lucy, <laughs> a rosé, a Pinot? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm for the Lucy. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what to do because I'm not a wife. <laughs> <laughs> Can never go wrong naming However. it after mom. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we'll we'll call your we'll call mom up and say hey. So if you weren't doing this, what do you think you would do besides being a ski bum? Hmm. Sorry, I took that off no, the table. That is, that <laughs> you were going right there. I know. You're like, ah, man. <laughs> A day trader? I don't. I don't know. You know, it's tough. Uh, you get some GameStop. <laughs> I may have made a few bucks on GameStop. Actually, really? yeah. I'm not surprised. Got a little Bitcoin you. in. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I having spent most of my career in hospitality, it mm-hmm. probably would be something to do with restaurants. I mm-hmm. I am certainly not a chef, but I I love cooking and I love eating out and mm-hmm. uh, you know m- my whole. All my youthful years were spent with amazing meals. Uh, you know, family loves to travel. They love wine and they love food. So I think that's where my heart is at the Can end. Can they the day. adopt me, please? <laughs> and probably Am because I too I'm, old? I'm dying to travel so bad right now that it's it's a little painful. Let me but tell you, it feels good to be back. I know. Yeah. I can't wait to get on a plane. Yeah. Um, but I'm wondering, like, if for people who, whenever they can actually ever get back out to the Napa Valley area. Is there any place new that's opened up that's really cool that needs hmm. to be checked out in the way of like restaurants or places to go? You know, it's been such an interesting year. Things are still pretty closed down in Napa. So, yeah. I, you know, most of the, the newer restaurants that have opened have been more uh, of DoorDash kind of, yeah. you know, uh, to go type of food. So mm-hmm. I, I can't think of any off the top of my head that are, are just really hot spots. Trevino was a restaurant that was around oh, forever yeah. in St. Helena and they Don't tell me they closed. They it's the same owners, okay. but I understand it's a totally new concept. Okay. I think it's called Charter Oak. Um mm-hmm. so totally different food, but I did eat Oh, cuz they had the pizza stuff in the back. Yep. Yeah, with the Charter Oak thing. I, okay, yeah. Um and I really enjoyed my my last meal there. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> my last meal. <laughs> As I wistfully think back to Before a year ago. Closed, um <laughs> But you know, I I think it's it's starting to slowly reopen. Uh, yeah. So we're we're getting a little better. Cases are down, way down from from where they were around the holidays. So, so if people are looking for your wines, where are they going to find them? They can find Pazzo around, right? They can usually if they you know look mm-hmm. online or look around, they can find it's Pazzo. Pretty easy to remember that. Finer too. wine Pazzo. stores, yeah. Finer wine stores throughout yeah. the Southwest Florida area. Mm-hmm. Um, you can always reach out to us directly uh, mm-hmm. on our website, baccio-divino.com. Um, and then, so Jansen, where do they find Jansen? Is that uh, Jansen your... is a little trickier, just because they're so small production. There are a hand a handful of select retailers that might carry them, mm-hmm. but they tend to come in, given their small production, they sell fairly quickly, and then they disappear. So it might be a little bit more difficult to find those without going directly mm-hmm. to us on the website. But they are out there here and there, and certainly at a at some higher end restaurants around. And Lucy also kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Right. Similar story with those, yeah. All right. Kyle Jansen with Baccio Divino. Thank you so much thank for so much um, being for in here. Me. So good to see you again. Good to see you too. It's been really fun trying these wines because they really are great. Thank They're you. Next time good. you're back, uh, we're going to talk to you about your shark wrestling fishing trip. Oh, yeah. We don't have time now. <laughs> shark wrestling? Wow. Yeah, he was wrangling. Shark wrangling. Was it a bull shark or a tiger shark? I think they said Don't it was say a... it's a nurse shark. No? Because okay. that's not impressive. Oh. It was an eight-footer, It though. was not a nurse shark. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're kind of cute, really, Yeah, honestly. You don't want to be wrestling a kitty. I We didn't really identify it because it broke away just as it was coming up. But it was about six, six, seven, eight feet somewhere. It could have been a, a tiger or a wolf. Those are the bad guys. Okay, we'll take tiger. That's what he got. That sounds got a good. tiger. It was yeah. a crocodile shark, I believe. Yeah. I'm sure it was <laughs> from Aquaman. Yeah. <laughs> 
Anyway, okay, so Great Minds is produced at WGCU Studios on FGCU campus in Fort Myers, Florida. Our producer for online media is Tara Calligan. Great Minds theme music is from Kansas City band Victor and Penny. The song is You'd Be So Nice to Come Home To by Cole Porter. To get in touch with us, check out greatminds.org. For Julie Glenn, I'm Gina Birch. Thanks for listening. Thank you.